I'm Brendan Brannock and welcome back to the Supernatural Housewives of Valley Strange. Jobs for the girls. Shifra, Cleona and Siobhan walked smartly down Main Street, all dolled up for the night. The three knockout women were watched from the top floor of the Valley Strange Inn by Deirdre and Terence, while from a second window in the room, the demon slayers, in sniper mode, had their arrows pointed at the girls. Destroy them now, said Terence, before they change into mist and appear instantly twenty miles away. They commute by magic. They'll be in Galway City in a split second to frequent a bar and seduce some unfortunate college students. The slayers immediately pulled tighter on their arrows. Do it quickly. They're fairies and they'll disappear. He had barely uttered a command when the noisy bus from Galway City came roaring down the street. The bus stopped and the three girls promptly stepped on board. Public transport, said Terence, quite taken aback. Why are they taking public transport? Deirdre moved away from the window in disgust, followed by her demon slayers. She inhaled deeply. Her gasp stirred something in him, but her patience was beginning to wear thin with him. Time was money, and she had indeed wasted a lot of time following this fool around town, searching for fairies and shapeshifters, when all that could be found were bored suburban housewives, on this occasion tarting themselves up for the night. I swear they are fairies, said poor Terence. They often go to my cellar and drink all my fine wines. They have drank me dry. Drank me dry, I tell you. Deirdre looked at him with contempt. They are not the only ones who have been imbibing too much. If they had remained at the window, they would have seen the bus as it travelled down Main Street, sink into the ground and disappear. Turlock stood under a Galway city street lamp, beneath the band of Technologies building. Across the street, a transparent looking bus came to a sudden stop. Within seconds, three beautiful women stepped out of the shadows. He recognised his beloved Shifra and the other two fairy maidens, Siobhan and Cleona. He wasn't exactly sure what his fairy bride was up to, or how she could help him this time. He might have to accept that he was lucky in love, but not in business. I don't see how two beautiful women can help. Be quiet, Turlock. Look over there. In the late of night, two women departed the Bond of Technology's office building. They looked identical to Siobhan and Cleona in every way, though their attire was more functional rather than sexy. Turlock studied the two fairy maidens. My God, they're exact lookalikes, he said. Not lookalikes, Turlock, said Shifra. They are fairy changelings. I don't understand. What will they do? They will write some very buggy computer code. Cleona and Siobhan eerily moved closer to Turlock. 
And we know how to copy things onto flash drives, said Siobhan. Really, said Turlock. And where were you when I needed some talented computer gals? Look over there, said Shifra, pointing at the two Bondov employees. As the two late-night workers crossed the street, some ethereal, ghost-like figures appeared out of thin air and surrounded them in a sea of blue mist. Merciful hour, said Turlock in shock. There was a brief scream, and then they were gone, as if kidnapped by the night. Turlock looked at Shifra with concern. They'll be released back in a week, she whispered softly, and won't remember a thing. Shifra then looked at her two colleagues. Get to it, girls. Turlock laughed like a devil. All was dark around the great gothic mansion. Inside a mouse ran along a great ornate hallway, carefully slipping under the blue laser security beams. Further down the hallway, the clever little mouse stopped under a security box. In a whoosh of molecular movement, it quickly shapeshifted back into the female form of Marla. She stood in the hallway nude, as if she had just stepped out of one of the medieval masterpieces that hung on the walls. A perfect goddess created by an artist that worked day and night for years, until his hair had turned grey, and he was driven mad before true beauty finally unveiled itself on his battered old canvas and brought tears to his eyes, for he had fallen in love with his own creation. She began to disable the security. She was tapping numbers when she heard footsteps. A security man walked around a corner with a flashlight. Marla instantly changed into a butterfly that fluttered away and landed on the frame of a distinguished piece of art. Beams of light began to slowly pan across all the artwork and above one golden frame appeared the giant silhouette of butterfly wings. Satisfied, the security man departed the hallway. As he turned around a corner, the laser beams disabled. It went unnoticed. Marla immediately changed into her female form again, wrapping her legs along an ornate wooden beam that crossed the high ceiling and hanging upside down like a naughty circus artist, loosened the precious artworks from the wall. When Tony joined her, he watched admiringly as she hung upside down from the ceiling. Wow, they defy gravity, babe, he said, trying to cop a feel. In case you haven't noticed, Tony, I'm loosening a priceless piece of art here. I'm trying to grab some priceless pieces myself, babe. Tony, I'm going to smack you. Siobhan and Cleona also work late, typing furiously on their computers, writing code. The infamous CEO, Jermot McJermot, had passed by and glanced at his watch, impressed to see how late his charges were working. He also could have sworn those girls had already left, but his mind was clearly playing tricks. He also couldn't help but admire the attire of his two lovely programmers. Killer babes writing killer apps, he said. The two fairy changelings looked at each other and mischievously smiled.
Notes on Love Life and Bally Strange. It went without saying that every married man and woman living in Bally Strange enjoyed a very rich love life. It supposedly wasn't always like that. Though the archives were sketchy at best, it was thought the original curse was put on the town sometime back in medieval times when a witch was burned alive at the stake. She was deemed a witch by the clergy and the highly respected town elders for two reasons. One, she had the ability to cast fairly potent spells. Two, she was a woman of rather loose morals. The men could have lived with the first flaw. The second was her downfall. Though historical facts were in much dispute, it was recorded in folk history that she cursed the town of Bally Strange from the stake. And she in particular cursed the menfolk to be married to supernatural women till the end of their days. It was, everyone agreed, a rather low blow and the burning woman did not win any friends at the stake. She obviously could not have put a more horrible curse on the righteous men of Bally Strange. Being supernatural women, these new wives were also highly passionate creatures with very few hang-ups when it came to sexual relations. But back in the Middle Ages, men of a puritanical persuasion deemed any unnecessary embellishments in the bedroom a sin. It was, for example, Mightily distressful for the first man in Bally Strange who was ever married to a shapeshifter, circa 1326, when a spider descended slowly from her web, ticklishly crawled up along the inside of his leg, and then, just as he was about to flip her away, transformed into a naked wench, ready to suffocate him with her love-making spinnerts. The story was passed down from generation to generation, and the ending never differed. The poor man died of shock. Of course, the little seaside town of Bally Strange was not known as Bally Strange back in olden times. It went by its original Gaelic name, Balia on Stripach, which was translated as Town of the Prostitute. When Ireland came under British control in the 1800s and all townlands were being anglicised by the invader, instead of literally calling it Whore Town, the British opted for a simpler translation and it became Bally Strange. That it was called Bally Strange by the invader had nothing to do with the fact that it was a very strange town. It had even less to do with the strange women found living there. It was just a case of very poor phonetics. Having supernatural housewives proved a source of great shame for the clean living men of Balian Stripok. Because of this awful curse, the poor men were forced to keep their heads low for centuries, lest the Vatican, for example, hear about it and threatened them with excommunication for deviant matrimonial practices. Opinions did change as the years slowly progressed, and Bally Strange in modern times was a much different place altogether. Tony Di Matteo developed a great appreciation for his wife, especially her ability to alter the shape of her breasts, something that was considered an act of utter depravity up until nearly the 18th century, when the gentry exploited such talents to test the quality of an aristocratic lady's bodice, and sometimes a nice servant girl's too. Tony's modern shape-shifting wife could of course change into any creature imaginable on earth, but Tony needless to say drew the line and only made love to her in womanly form. There was enough stereotypes he felt about the love interests of men who lived in mountainy areas in the west of Ireland, so why give succour to such rumours was his motto. That said, some of the lovemaking in Bally Strange was at times very unconventional. 
For example, William Swift was married to a Greek with a rather unusual head. So much so that Dr. Winterman was once heard to quip, Poor Swift has married himself a real classic. Many wished they could be a fly on the wall in the bedrooms of Bally Strange, especially when Swift and the missus went at it. As it turned out, Marla on one occasion was a fly on the wall. She did not think it right to gossip about a man in his wife's love life, although she could not resist reporting that William Swift was unable to look his wife in the face when having sex. It was a remark that drew a few audible gasps, though a remark that could so easily have been taken out of context. Dr. Winterman was a young man of English origin when he first settled in Ballystrange. It was a town in desperate need of a doctor, for at the time there was indeed a huge shortage of qualified doctors in Ireland. Up until then, Ballystrange was served by doctors in nearby towns, though more than a few had mysteriously gone missing. The general consensus was that they'd either fallen off a cliff or slipped into a bog hole. Winterman met Jane on his first day of practice, when she, looking very frail and pale, came seeking a doctor, and the young Englishman was instantly smitten. There was, he remarked under his breath, something utterly contagious about her. She had complained about an awful loss of appetite, and his advice was simple and unconventional. Could they maybe get a bite to eat later that evening? Maybe catch a film first. Asking a patient out was of course conduct unbecoming of his practice, but he felt he'd hardly lose his job in a small town like Bally Strange. They went to see a film called Ryan's Daughter in a small cinema in the middle of nowhere. The rain was lashing and a mighty storm outside was rattling off the old theatre. But there was something about the film that aroused Jane's passions and the English doctor found himself not at a nice restaurant afterwards, but pinned against his driver's seat in his trusty old Volkswagen Beetle on a country road that veered so close to the wild Atlantic that some monstrous waves crashed down on the roof as Jane smothered him with hungry kisses of her own. And then, as he rummaged around in her blouse trying to loosen her bra in vain, inspired as he was by that English soldier in the film, he heard an awful hiss that he first thought was foamy seawater leaking in through the doors, as if circling around a dillisk-laden rock before withdrawing out to sea again. But then, in a flash of moonlight, something made an appearance. Something that was as surprising as the love scene in Ryan's daughter when her breast memorably popped loose and Jane had grabbed his hand and sunk her nails into his flesh. With the hissing sound drawing in intensely, he looked up, apologetically because of his miserable efforts fumbling around with her bra, to see a fierce pair of incisors glassed with bubbling saliva and throbbing in anticipation. God Almighty, the Lord bless us and save us. That bite to eat suddenly took on a whole new meaning. The poor doctor whimpered and he cried out with anguish. What kind of God-forsaken country had he come to at all? With her tongue wagging between her teeth, she scanned him like a snake with a baby duckling. So your appetite's returned, he spluttered. Jane smiled, and like the wild Atlantic, she pulled back. I think I'll keep you, she said. They had been making passionate love ever since, 
and it always began the way it began in that Volkswagen all those years ago by the stormy sea, with her fangs looming and the poor doctor fearing for his life. And it was all the better because of that. Yes, it was all the better because of that. Do, 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 do.